Have you noticed a merging of the data protection and information security worlds? I know I have. Backup people increasingly need to understand the world of information security. And information security people definitely need to learn about, a lot about backup. Hi, I'm W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. I've been specializing in backup and disaster recovery since the early 90s, and I'm the host of this podcast. Its purpose is to turn unappreciated backup admins into cyber recovery heroes. This episode features two representatives of Cove Data Protection, and we talk to them about two merging worlds that sound a lot alike, data protection and information security. We also talk about how this is leading the migration to SaaS-based data protection services. This episode is full of great lessons for anyone in backup and data protection. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me a guy who I am now calling Coach Persona Maliandi. <laughs> How's it going, Persona? I'm good, Curtis. I'm happy to be your coach. But wasn't I your coach before, like your financial coach, your life coach? No, you were, that was, you were my, non, my financial non-advisor. Yeah. That's what you yeah. were before, financial and non-advisor. And also your medical you're, or doctor, non-doctor, and your non-legal yeah, lawyer. Now you are my non-physical, non-professional. <laughs> yeah, so I started calling you coach to my wife. Like, I'll be like, coach is calling. Coach is calling for our daily walk. I got to go. So here's the thing. So why am I calling you coach persona? Because every day we go on walks together. And when we're on our walks, we talk to each other. And so I've actually gotten you. So I've been going on walks regularly for the last two, three months, multiple times a day. And so I was like, hey, Curtis, you should start walking too. It'll be good for you. And so the one yeah. way to do that is, is like, hey, Curtis, let's go on a walk. And so we talk on the phone all the time while we're both walking in different neighborhoods. Yeah, we go on a walk together. About 500 we miles live- apart. And we'll see how that goes. <laughs> today is a special day. We have two guests today from Enable, a company with backup data protection and security systems that they say will make you indispensable. First, I'd like to welcome General Manager of Cove Data Protection, Chris Groot. Hello, Curtis. Hello, Prasanna. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. I also want to welcome the VP of Product Management, for the Cove Data Protection product, Stefan Voss. Hey, Curtis. Hi, Prasanna. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, been a while. Good to see you joining the cloud data protection space. And so you've had the pleasure of working with Prasanna in years past? I have. It was a long time ago, but uh, (laughs) one of those storage, Boston-based storage companies, Prasanna, BMC. Exactly. I think the first question that I want to ask, I I think I'll ask this of you, Chris, is why don't you just give us a a little bit more information about maybe a summary about Enable and where you think you fit in the market? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Curtis. Enable really is an organization that is, is focused on the needs of managed service providers to deliver excellent service out to all the small, medium sized businesses that 
that exist out there. So often backup vendors, we're often thinking about the Fortune 500 and how we're going to service them and so on. Where we play is what I call the Fortune 5 million. So we're talking 20 employees up to 2,000 employees, but certainly as you go down like closer to 100 employees, that's where a lot of our industry and our, our, our economy runs on is those small businesses. That's primarily where managed service providers tend to play and have the, the most impact in terms of customers. And that's where from a data protection play, that's where Cove data protection really lives focused on the needs of that, that service provider and how they can deliver essentially enterprise level service to many small businesses that are distributed in different industries. Yeah, just a quick follow-up to that, Chris. So unlike a lot of other backup products, which really focus on like a backup admin, I'm sure with Enable and what you're doing with Cove Data Protection, it's really about how do you enable the MSP to scale and manage these solutions across tens, hundreds of customers that they might have? Is that right? You're, you're exactly right. So it starts with, first of all, it needs to have the right level RTO, RPO service levels. That was a non-negotiable. It's got to be secure, non-negotiable. But then once you got those out of the way, how do you essentially add more and more organizations to your service offering without adding more and more people every time you do mm -hmm. that? And so having that ability to run it highly efficiently in terms of that labor score, our personal mandate is if you're spending 100 hours on backup, will take you down to less than 10, like really having that level of service level efficiency, centralized console, multi-tenancy, so that you can just um, you know, rock and roll as you, as you start to you know, build out customers and add more and more workloads without adding more and more labor. Yeah. I, I've been in backup now for over 30 years and backup was all, always sort of the you know, back of the bus, right? And, and one of the things that people often would say was like, how hard can it be to just copy stuff from A to B, right? And the answer is not that hard, except they keep changing the A and they keep changing the B, right? So we're going to use tape, we're going to use disk, we're going to use cloud, we're going to use servers, we're going to, we're going to go from Linux, we're going to go to Windows. We, we want much more frequent backups, right? Instead of just the daily, nightly backups, we want maybe something more frequent than that. Oh, and by the way, we're just going to take all the computers and we're just going to scatter them to the world. <laughs> data center? What's a data center? Right? And then we're not even going to have servers anymore. Let's do this thing called containers. And uh, right. And so it's just, it's just a mess. Uh, but I think what's really happened, and I'm just curious what you guys think about this. What has happened to, to, to it's always been to the back of the bus, but What's happened in the last, say, five years or so has been the massive increase in cyber attacks against both the primary and now, especially against the secondary systems, the backup systems. I think that backup, and, and I, I speak very broadly when I say backup, right? Basically anything that's keeping the data safe, basically that it's finally coming into its own. And I'll start with you, Chris. What do you think about that idea? I think you're absolutely right in terms of the awareness, like it was always important, mm -hmm. but the feeling of risk was never that high. It was just more like paying an insurance policy. Now the risk feels you know, much more imminent in terms of most people 
know a friend who know a friend that have experienced some sort of cyber incident yeah. and it becomes very personal. And when things like that become personal, the risk seems much more real. And certainly that's been a, it's changed uh, the value of what's going on, but also it's, yeah, because it's been monetized so greatly, right? And it's the profit motive that is different than yeah. the the weather that might, you know, cause the, the need for your backups to be super important to you. <clears throat> yeah, I, li I like what you said. You changed the value. I would argue that the value is the same, but peep the, the, the perceived value <laughs> has gone up, right? You've always needed a good backup system or some would call it a recovery system. And I'm fine with that. But I think, like you said, uh, it was like with COVID, right? When COVID happened, once it came to the point where you knew somebody, right? It became much more real, right? Especially if you knew somebody that died, right? I knew people right. that died of COVID and that made it much more real. I think you said like a friend of a friend or something. I, I think, you know, I think most of us might even know just one person, like meaning that like we know someone directly that got impacted. You know, for me, I remember years ago, like at the very beginning of ransomware, what we now think of a ransomware. Ransomware has actually been around a long time, but the modern era of ransomware for me started around 2014. And that's when I got my first call from my dad, who had a business partner who had been to, who had had his entire business operation, which was on a computer. And he had been asked for, you remember these days, $400, right? He'd been asked for $400 to get his entire company back. And the guy didn't have backup and he really had no choice but to pay $400. We have come a long way since that, but even since those early days for me personally, I felt a much closer connection to it. Stefan, how about you? What do you think? That's interesting because I was still in technical marketing in 2005. I didn't mm -hmm. really care about backup, right? I was in another BU at EMC storage and all that. You're laughing, Prasanna. That's true. And then my <laughs> boss came to me and said, hey, the Sony attack happened and we have customers that are freaking out and they want to know. And what can they do in terms of making it possible and more likely that they can actually recover? And it's mind boggling because EMC has always done well with replication, storage-based replication and blah, 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 backup products. So many technical solutions, but yet they weren't necessarily architected properly. And I remember we had a federal uh, customer that did some really crafty stuff with air gapping, actually pulling cables. And, and why that is, is because the ra ransomware at the time wasn't a thing, but brute force, wiperware, you name it, was actually already targeting the backup infrastructure. So it's fascinating. And that was, for me, eye-opening for one, but also really exciting because it put this aspect of recovery on the map also for security people. So that now means we can actually sell stuff to people who are CISOs and they have big budgets, but we also have to design it. So it's really an engineer's dream if you think about it. So there are different requirements, same technology. And so, yeah, that, that kind of led me in down the path of data data protection, but also being a PM. And we came up with this thing called cyber recovery at the time. But yeah, it's just confusing. It's fascinating. And my boss then, Beth, said, look, you can see that the worlds of security and data protection or backup, that they're really merging. They're discrete swim lanes, don't get me wrong, but they're merging. I was able to also see this at the 
first RSA conference I went to and I tried to do my thing, pitch a little bit. Hey, there's backup. And they're like, yeah, go away. 500 vendors on the floor about left of breach, anomaly detection, backup, whatever. And then the second year, the very next year, it was already much more of a thing. We got a keynote or those are more panel discussions, but uh, it was very interesting how fast it actually became also a thing in the context of security. Just going back to one of the things Curtis touched upon, like the shifting, right? For I know he talked about going from tape to disk to cloud, right? Decentralized versus your data center. So I know there's been, and we've talked about it on the podcast before, this notion that, hey, once I put my data in the cloud, I don't really have to worry about it, right? It's secure. Or if I use like a SaaS service, I don't need to worry about it. It's protected, right? How do you see customers evolving in terms of their comfort with those types of false statements, if you will? <laughs> and maybe Chris, I'll start with you on that. Specifically, you're talking SaaS first, because there has been this shift. If we go back 2015, eight years ago, everyone had their exchange server, everyone had their file server, that sort of, and that's all we've seen yeah. this migration that the train has left the station with Microsoft 365 clearly, but the second train, the backup train was a little slower to leave the station <laughs> in terms of people's mindsets. And yeah, if you had this conversation in 2018, I would say eight out of 10 people would say backup. Why would you backup? That's not a thing. Fast forward to today. It's not if it's who are you going to use, right? It's more of the question. Right. So we've seen that change in mindset, even in the last two years, it's really accelerated. So now it's de facto. I, I haven't met someone in the last six months that didn't agree that this was a priority or that it was an, like a, an unnecessary conversation, let's say. Yeah. So after the Microsoft 365 backups, as an example, in addition, what we've noticed in terms of the change in mindset over the last eight years has really been the idea of needing to really own and touch that local storage for other primary systems. So that, that's a secondary mm -hmm. mindset that we've seen, especially in our, like the market where we typically play the most, we've seen that there was a very conservative mindset need to touch it to today. It's whatever gets me the outcome. That's what, that's how I want to get there. Yeah, I, I agree that I, I think there was definitely a long moment, right? Where there was this sort of fight against backups that I don't control. And then I think that all the other IT systems, people found out no one, for example, no one misses their exchange server, right? <laughs> no one is, wow, I really wish I had my exchange server on-prem. And I don't think anyone misses their backup server, right? Those that have gone to SaaS backup. I remember like all these things I used to do to manage the, the physical. Yeah. So, well, yeah, well, I was just thinking of like, like I remember, does anybody remember a Sun E450? You guys remember these things, right? The, the, the Sun E450, I loved it as a backup server. Why? Not because it was the most powerful server for computing infrastructure, but because it had the most PCI slots, right? And I could put all this hardware and I could do all this th IO throughput. It was about IO throughput. That was a lot of work designing those systems for the perfect, right? And man, I do not miss that world, right? That's what I'm saying. I and mean, I think you're right, Chris, that basically it's, we are making that same shift 
the shift that happened with 365 and, and exchange that we're making that same shift with backup, that there were a lot of people. I remember when I used to work with my previous employer that again, this was what, six years ago now that I, I had to say, okay, so, you know, exchange, right. And you know, like 365 and how like 365 is like a service, but it's like exchange. And they're like, yeah, I'm like, this is like that, but backup. Right. It was like a new idea. Right. It's like, that's how I had to explain it. Cause for two reasons, one was that it was a relatively new concept that it was somewhat like breaking the mold. But the other was that there are products in the world that are advertised as SaaS uh, that aren't really SaaS. I'd say my perfect example is the entire Adobe suite, right? That is subscription-based pricing, but they call it SaaS. And I'm like, that's not SaaS. That's <laughs> subscription-based pricing. Yes, I understand you're giving software via a service, <laughs> but it's not SaaS. So that was the other reason I had to do that. So we, we always did things in a certain way back in the day. And then suddenly there is this sassification of the backup world. Wh why do you think we did that? Great question. I know we did these QBRs in my previous employers and we always wondered where are the backup admins? Where are they? You know what I mean? It was like a smaller and smaller, it's a shrinking buyer base. And I think it has a lot to do with, yeah, it's a pretty expensive, spending a lot of time. You mentioned the example of exchange. I remember we had a team and we produced 200 page best practice documents to how to set up the DAGs and do this, the storage tuning. And you like that DAG that I remembered? And how do you set it up in the LUN distribution, blah, blah, blah. None of this you have to do, right? And on the, so why is backup any different? Is what It's mind boggling, right? That we have such a resistance. Oh, but backup is an application like exchange, right? So you would think that the same principles apply. And especially in our segment that like, as Chris highlights, it's also a bit different when you move down market. Honestly, you can't really continue to afford having to patch, maintain procurement cycle. That's got to be fun. It's coming out of COVID, just buying a stupid server. Gosh. And we just think about this uh, openness as age. I think that was one of the nasty vulnerabilities that went around. And I think Curtis, you did a nice uh, sort of write up on, on the topic. Even if you run into something like that, and then you have to do a vendor coordination and, and you got to get a maintenance window. You got to get the payload and then hopefully, oh gosh, yeah, the upgrade actually works. And then you can resume your backups the next day, right? Isn't it nice to not have to worry about that, right? Worry about storage management, disk expansion. I know it's a thing and may, might make people feel good, but is it really smart, right? You just mentioned the threat landscape, right? And you have 10 hours that you have to invest. Wouldn't you rather invest nine hours learning about Azure or learning about the threat landscape as opposed to swapping drives and things like that, right? So that that's kind of how I think I Curtis might it. like swapping drives, honestly, I, but I like yeah, I, I, miss, I miss swapping tapes. But I, I you know, uh, Stefan, I, I think we've always, if somebody could make this problem go away, because it's a giant pain in the butt, right? If somebody could make the backup problem go away, then I think there were a lot of people that would have done that. And you alluded to one of the problems is that the backup admin is a dying breed. There's, there, there's no, you can't go get a master's degree in backup adminship. You can't get a, you can't get a bachelor's degree in it. Right. And, but there, there's three technologies I think that have enabled this solution, the, the SaaS based backup. 
The first would be obviously just the cloud, right? This seemingly unlimited amount of infrastructure that someone can call upon when they need it. The second would be deduplication. The fact that once we get that first backup, which we often call the seed, and we can do that often via sneaker net, right? Do that first backup via sneaker net. Once we get that first backup, because I'll digress for a second. One of the problems that you said, is just like an application. <clears throat> it is, but it's got a unique problem. And that is it's got all the stuff, right? <laughs> Physics has always been the enemy of backup right? It's just literally, I've spent my entire career fighting physics. But dedupe, this idea of actually slicing things all the way down to their subcomponents and then figuring out which ones are redundant, which ones are new, and only sending those new things, that made it much more bandwidth friendly. And then I think really the golden goose here is object storage. Because what that does is it solves all that stuff. That's what made me think about when you were talking about all this the disk swapping and the disk management that we used to have to do back in the day, even more so is the volume management, right? You had to constantly manage the capacity of your disk storage, but now you don't. It's just magic, right? Unlimited. Yeah. Un yeah. Yeah. I always say seemingly yeah. unlimited, right? Unlimited. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, it yeah, thanks. That's uh, thanks. Was that you, Stefan, that said that? Yeah. Yeah. I because, thought I'd say yeah. something profound here and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's no, that's random, profound. Right? Because that's the other thing about object storage is is it built into it is the idea of redundancy and immutability and constant checking that the data that we put on it three months ago is still the data that's there. We never did that with tape, right? We never did it with regular disk. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so I know we were talking previously about sort of SaaS and backup. And one of the things um, that I've seen in the past is sort of a lot of companies when they're like, oh, companies are shifting to like Microsoft 365, they would produce these solutions, which didn't really solve the problem, Stefan, that you were talking about, making it simple and easy to do the backups. And they would sort of do like lift and shift where it's like, hey, you still manage your server, you still manage everything else, even though you're doing like Microsoft 365 backups. And so, Chris, I guess a question for you is sort of what got uh, enabled into sort of the space of, okay, let's now try to offer or start to offer a cloud data protection solution. So the origin story is truly uh, a backup administrator that got angry one day and said <laughs> there must be a better way. Um, but that's going really far back in time. Um, and But it, it really was the origins were sort of in that period where the internet was rising, you know, disk storage was rising. There was, uh, you know, this from tape, you know, this is going back a long time, but like that the, the shifts were happening and just recognizing that um, you could, in theory, you know, protect, you know, data that is residing anywhere and bring it to one central location or many locations, depending on the, the target um, and do that in such a way that it just simplifies the process. And so from day one, the architecture of Cove was really designed about solving for, which especially, you know, 10, 15 years ago was a bigger problem, which was that you needed to drive essentially a Mack truck through a garden hose. And ideally do, ideally do that like several times per day, right? And that is a physics problem that I think Curtis would, uh, you know, mention he agreed yeah. with. And, uh, and so the question was really, how do you solve that problem? And so... 
if you start from day zero on solving for that problem, then that's sort of like solving all the rest of your problems. Mm. So that's the origin story. And, and really those early decisions in terms of the right architectural, uh, 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 decisions, the, also just the focus on, on solving kind of the root physics problem that had to be overcome at the time of moving large amounts of data over small pipes on a very consistent, reliable basis. Um, and being able to monitor that across, you know, many locations, et cetera, that those core, uh, you know, focusing on solving for that particular problem, um, has led to, you know, that, you know, the, the outcomes that overcame some of those early fears of customers of transitioning from just that traditional way of running backups where you always had to land it locally. And then if you wanted to get offsite, you had to do a secondary process, whether you use the internet or the sneaker net or however you did it, um, that mindset, um, it really, it did take some time for the world to accept that that was a viable mm -hmm. means of data protection. Yeah. So I was actually going to bounce over to Stefan. I know in our past, right, we've worked on deduplicated appliances, right? Dedupe's been around for quite a while. What were some of the challenges that needed to be solved in order to, like Chris said, take a Mack truck worth of data and send it over a garden hose, right? So what are some of the things that Cove does differently that allows for that to happen or to be supported? Yeah, the short answer is this cool architecture. There's two levels of um, architecture. One is the topology, right? We're moving data from the edge to the cloud, right? And if you have 160,000 customers, they're small, they're all over the place, right? They probably have a, a really small pipe. That's not even a garden hose, right? How do you get the data in that central location? So I think that's the short answer. And yes, to your point, there are some products that just do it very well. I mean, remember Avamar? That was like one of those cool, like source side deduplication. Mm -hmm. There are other ones. So conceptually, this is similar, but better. So we do an, uh, an in-guest and think of it as a content level backup. So we don't worry about putting the whole file and have to do change block tracking, regardless of whether the content change or not, right? It always produces a arguably higher change rate and more that has to be picked up by the scan, right? We don't worry about that. We operate one level above in the stack. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing is we can do an image level restore. You just have to assemble the right files and that gives you that image level. So it's just architecturally different and fascinating way ahead of its time, right? When you believe in, yeah, there's a move to the cloud, there's exponential growth of data, and then more and more distributed environments, this architecture is really coming into its own. So what we can then do is we only have to really worry about if you have a thousand files or 10, 100,000 files, we only really have to worry about the ones that where there were any changes yeah. at all. And that seems to be, a, it always typically is a small number. And uh, then within that, when we pick up the hash, we go through and we really only select the 256K blocks or segments, package them up and move those over the wire. So we don't really have to worry about, oh, I did a defrag, so my my inodes are all, all over the yeah. place again, or I move the file from here to here. Same file, but the disk layout. It's like a logical um, level, right, that you're looking at exactly the data right. rather than at the lower level. Gotcha. 100%. So, okay. Yeah. So, and I know one of the questions that sometimes people get concerned with about the cloud, I know you talked about, okay, now I can actually move the data via the garden nodes into the cloud. One challenge that some people bring up is when it comes to the restores and the recoveries. Mm -hmm. 
even if I can efficiently move the data to the cloud, if I need to say restore an application that is local, how do I do that in an efficient fashion, right? Because I am still, once again, going to be limited a little by physics, right? Are there things that you offer that help alleviate that concern? Yes, and it's nice that you call out that uh, not not one architecture is perfect in every aspect that you could possibly imagine, right? So clearly, when you're moving things from far away from the edge into the cloud and you have to go the other way, laws of physics apply, and that is difficult to solve, right? So the efficiency is one layer. And so I think that true delta, I was going to get into the benefits. I talked about the how, but obviously, when you do that, the backup frequency can be very small, mm -hmm. right? We can often get get away with a hourly backup, right? So it's not quite CDP, but it's nice. But on the restore, whenever you move data, it will help you as well. You still might uh, have to live with a couple of hours, depending on the yeah. data set, to do the restore because you're pulling the bits. So just for the record, we can actually put a copy, a second copy on the local, on a local share, right? Okay. So we can accommodate. We just go to the cloud first. So that's number one. But we have this nifty... Um, Thing called the standby image. So you, let's say you have a Hyper-V server at Azure VM. What we do is we take a backup and then we need, immediately do a continuous restore. We can have it ready either on your server or a NAS or an Azure instance. So it's actually a quite effective way to keep that copy ready. And then of course your recovery time objective is really contracted. Mm -hmm. It goes down in minutes. Yeah. Right. So, because it's basically so it's, just spinning up from that copy, right? Correct. It's already yeah. spun up. It does it proactively. So it's a continuous. Oh, nice. So I, that's actually a nifty way to do it. And I love this Azure because who wants to build a DR site okay. that you hope you'll never, ever have to use size it. Remember the catalog, all this okay. stuff. And here you can use resources that are there. You have a cloud formation template. And then, yeah, you have to pay for the storage, but you really only have to pay for the compute when you light up the VM, right? Do your sandbox testing and so forth. It's got some yeah. nice benefits. I've often been a fan of this idea of the pre-restore, right? Because the fastest restore that ever is ever going to be is one that's already done when you need it. I like that. I like that a lot. So if you support that for what workloads? So we do it. Uh, so it really mostly makes sense for servers, right? Because that those are right. typically the critical. I mean, we can talk about desktop, laptop, but really, uh, or, you know, like M365. So it's really a server thing, right? Where RTO is tends to be critical. Right. And Hyper-V, let's face it, in our segment, this is important also to understand because I know the pot, your po podcast also covers a lot of enterprise ve uh, vendors, but Microsoft ecosystem is like the 90 plus percent uh, ecosystem our partners live in, right? So Hyper-V, Azure, VMs, right? Those would be the main culprits. And we are going to obviously add that for other so, hypervisors, like, I don't know, um, VMware, right? So today you support it for Hyper-V and also for physical servers or just for Hyper-V? Physical virtual servers living okay. like in, in a hypervisor or in a hyperscaler. So they, they, it, like they can be in AWS or Azure. Oh, so you, su you yeah. support this for, for yeah. hyperscalers as well. Okay, yeah. Yeah. cool. So the key like is that we're in the guest, so we don't care about the hypervisor level. And that gives us a the efficiency of moving a lot less data, and and then secondly, it gives us that that horizontal coverage of basically it doesn't Anything. matter where that computing happens. So that is interesting. So what I'm hearing you say is that 
even for the likes of AWS and Azure, you're still doing a guest level backup. And what you're doing is you're creating an image that you can then restore anywhere. Is that is that accurate? You nailed it. Okay, because as you know, what most people are doing is they're doing snapshots in AWS and Azure, and then they can copy those and restore those to other places. <clears throat> but that requires additional work would be the, the mm -hmm. nicest way. So, Stefan, I know you talked about the DR aspects and having the standby copy, but are there other use cases that this can be beneficial other than, hey, I need to quickly restore my data? Yeah, one thing Cove does really well is, is an item level restore. It's just in the nature of being that file content level. But the other primary one that we get all the time is how do I recover from a destructive cyber attack? I don't even want to just limit it to a ransomware attack, right? And that's our sweet spot, I think, because we have what I just described, a lot of flexibility, right? Whether you do a standby image or a one-time or on-demand restore, the ability to put it either on a server, in your co-location center, on a NAS or in Azure gives you a lot of flexibility. So what does that mean? You can premeditate. What does the restore look like? Typically you go in the sandbox first, then run some scans, you do a password rotation, and then you bring it back into production. And sometimes when you're hardwired, when you're limited to an array to array replication, it's great for site to site failover, natural disasters probably preferable. But when it comes to ransomware attack, you have a lot of flexibility with Cove because I can just spin it up in Azure and have my Sentinel-1 instance running already. Uh, yes, it can be used as a sandbox and then I can restore it back into production. I don't want to trivialize the, the, the steps, right? As you can see, a lot of it is actually processed, but the technology stack affords that high degree of flexibility that you're probably going to need, right, in that restore flow because every customer, every MSP managed service provider will have a different sort of data center under contract and so forth, right? Gotcha. Well, I appreciate that. It's been a good conversation. I, when I'm talking with companies, I always try to find what is, if there's at least one thing that really makes them different. And I think the biggest thing that I've picked up in this particular discussion is this idea that you're protecting physical on-prem virtual and virtual workloads in the cloud all the same way, meaning that you're running an agent, which is definitely different. And it comes with some distinct advantages when you have this DR, this pre-restored DR capability. I think that's a, a fascinating way to do things. I would certainly like to hear when you add that, that other uh, hypervisor that's out there, but I get that you're very focused on the Microsoft world and there's nothing wrong with that. I wanted to thank both of you for, for taking the time to talk with us. Chris, I will thank your Canadian self first. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having us, man. It was great to be here. Bye. Glad to have you. And Stefan, also, thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks, Curtis. Prasanna, it's also awesome to see you again. Be well. Yeah, likewise. Great. Yeah, great podcast. Yeah, all, always happy to reunite old friends. And hey. speaking of old friends... Thanks for listening, folks. We'd be nothing without you. Remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all. Good.